What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Colin Stuckert, CEO of Wild Foods, and we dive into all kinds of things. We, we talk a little bit about his company, Wild Foods, but we also talk about you know dieting, carnivore, keto, how he transitioned from the zone diet to paleo diet, then to keto, and now kind of carnivore, and we talk about a lot more than that. We talk about his uh, you know, business philosophies, entrepreneurship journey. We talk about how he's going to raise his his kids with the diet, with nutrition um, on the forefront. And he just acquired some land. We talk about how he's going to raise some goats and some livestock and provide for himself. It's just a cool conversation. I really resonated with everything he was saying. I feel like we see eye to eye on most things. So really enjoyed the conversation, learned a lot from him. Hope you do as well. Without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast with Colin Stuckert. And we're live. Colin, how are you, man? Good. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, man. I, I want to dive into a lot of different things, but first, I want to kind of get some backstory on you and what got you into this like whole food, you know, organized nutrition, like just ancestral base like bring me some some backstory here sure so i grew up in florida uh, always had the entrepreneur itch started with the juice bar in an la fitness uh college dropout wasn't really for me that led me into finding eventually i, I remembered it was crossfit i actually found a men's health article there was this they mentioned the 300 workout which the movie 300 was big mm -hmm. at the time and so i was like oh i want to look at like those guys obviously and so i i kind of like I pulled on that thread. It led me to signing up for a certification in Fort Lauderdale, went to that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's like, it's a warehouse. They have mats, they have bumper plates. I could, I could do this is what I kind of told myself. I was like, I could totally do this. And so literally fast forward 12 months after that open a CrossFit gym that gets me heavily into my fitness my training and nutrition got into the zone diet and then paleo. And then paleo is what really like that other light bulb moment. Uh, for me was like, okay, this makes sense. Like I, it, ancestral health, like understanding where we came from, how we lived in the wild uh, versus how we live today in modern cities. Like there's just so much here. And anytime I trace anything back in life from a health perspective or even a psychology perspective to how we would have lived as hunter gatherers, I have so much understanding of how best to approach a top. And that kind of led me down the long winding path to nutrition and supplements and food and cooking and everything since then. I love it. I think the more we kind of go back to our original, you know, roots, so to speak, the the healthier we wind up all getting by default. Um, yep. When you were with CrossFit, I feel like CrossFitters like they, like nothing against CrossFit, but they have like this click atmosphere. So like whatever CrossFit dieters are like doing that time, that's super. Yeah, it's super very popular. cultish. Yeah, it's that's very what's cultish. Hot. Yep. Uh, yep. So zone, talk about zone for a minute. What what is that exactly? So the zone diet was made by I believe Dr. Barry Spears, and it was based on a block system. So it's kind of similar to keto. You just had different block levels. Like if you wanted to have more performance, you'd have more blocks of fat. You'd have, if you wanted to lean up, maybe you do a little bit less carbs and more protein, right? So it was a pretty good idea and methodology. And I think some people probably still use it because it was just a simple way to break down the macros of your food. Now I got into zone first when I got into CrossFit and I was like, okay, that's cool. But I was still wasn't really getting lean. Like I wasn't like getting that last you know, five pounds of body fat that I wanted to get out. Like I wanted to get super lean as a, as a, you know, young 22 year old, year old male, as most guys do. And I wasn't getting there when I was led to paleo. I was like, well, okay. If I focus on using a block system where maybe I'm paying attention to my macros, but I'm also focusing on the quality of the food. 
that got me there. Like literally within six months after figuring that out, my, it changed my life forever. And then I got heavily into cooking and then I kind of fell into like having a food and something company. And it's all based on that aha moment of like, when I get ingredients that are high quality, that are close to nature as possible, that aren't prepped and processed by a big corporation, I finally unlocked my abs. I feel better. I sleep better. My performance is better. It just literally ties everything back to the quality of the food. And that's why that's what I try to promote is like a real food way of eating. So that seems like for me hearing that, you know, it seems so common sense that we should all just be eating what's the the most pure and and, and Mm -hmm. just good quality stuff that we can. But I feel like there's such a barrier to entry there. Like, I don't know if it's because people think it's just cost prohibitive, but like, why do you think people are so just susceptible to getting the most processed foods? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of variables here. Like food market, big, the foods that we see that are available, these highly addictive foods that are literally manufactured by scientists to be addictive, highly palatable. They light up our reward centers in our brain. Like when you go to, even when going to restaurants, even if they're using really like somewhat clean ingredients, like they try to source locally, they're still putting things together in flavor profiles and cooking techniques that just are so rewarding, especially if you don't know how to cook at home. Like you're comparing it to your home food, which is like, maybe it's bland. And so every time you're hungry, you're like, well, I would much rather eat at a restaurant or I'd much, much rather eat this bar that's been engineered or, the, or this thing in a package or whatever, than going home and going through the rigmarole of cooking and processing and dicing and doing all these things, you know, and then cooking is a dying trend. That's another topic. But I, I would say the, the food system that we have today is broken. And that is probably the, the fundamental thing that people need to understand when they rely on corporations for their ingredients and or for the cooking of their food, they are paying a health cost. Could not agree more, man. What what led you from the, the paleo approach that you were on towards more of like a keto carnivore-esque approach now? Like what was the, the shift in that road? That's been a long time a long journey. You know, it was like, I've, I've been doing, I would say paleo as a primary methodology for a long time now, but paleo to me doesn't really answer the question of how many carbs, how many, how much protein or how much fat. And I think these are very highly subjective topics because obviously depending on goals, lifestyle, there's so many variables here. Uh, I kind of fit like, you know, BC of a company, having a lot of things, having my son, I was eating out more than I should have. And so that's probably the last two years of my life in Austin is, is maybe just letting the sugar addiction take over a little bit, that, that even that addiction to eating out take over a little bit and utilizing the convenience of these foods that aren't that great and giving into my sugar kind of habits to where I was like, okay, I need to fix this, right? And so I actually was like, I'm, I'm going to definitely do some version of keto, right? Because I think it's the most ancestrally appropriate. That's, that's the number one thing. Like there's just not a lot of carbs in nature. And, you know, you can actually look at specific foods and, and the foods available today compared to the wild foods that were available. And there's just all these variables here that, that have it so that humans as a first principle really shouldn't be eating a lot of carbohydrates on any kind of consistent basis. And if they are, it should be cyclical in nature. And a lot of times it's not, but you know, again, topic for another day, maybe, um, it came down to, I wanted to get leaner. I wanted to experiment with how lean I could get while still feeling good. Cause for me, health and longevity and feeling good is still the primary thing. And so I fell into like this keto where it's a little bit of almost carnivore. It's, it's, it's very much animal based. I'm not doing a lot of vegetables. I might have like a few sweet, sweet potatoes here and there, but for the most part, I stay away from any very carb dense or sugar dense food. And for the past 60 days, I've been able to basically kill my sweet tooth doing that. I like it because like paleo in in its essence is just anything that is naturally found out in the wild. So like right. honey yep. and sugars that are, you know, raw sugars, like they can have that at nauseam, right? 
well, some people overdo it. They do like, they'll do like a high carb paleo and like you see that in CrossFit and I'm, I mean, you know, CrossFit's a sport. So like there could be a case to be made for that. But fundamentally for me, the most natural way for the homo sapien is to have a fat based metabolism where you're utilizing ketones and you're not just stuffing your face with carbs that our ancestors would have never had access to. Totally agree. Are you tracking like ketones? Are you basically just going off how you feel? It's mostly go off how I feel. I did recently get this little ketone. It's like keto. It's called K-E-Y-T-O. It's a little breath monitor. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. And with that, I don't think it's super accurate. I've never got down to like the, the actual tracking of ketones. But what's what I learned from using this breath tool is the half-life of carbs. It really opened my eyes to the half-life of carbs. For example, I would eat Let's say if I had a higher carb meal at like 7 p.m., that was going to be my last meal of the day. And then I break my fast at like one or two. And I, before I do that, I'm tracking on that keto level thing and it gives me a rating. Well, every single time that I had more carbs than I would have normally had, I was barely or not at all in ketosis. And it took a while for me to adapt to this. And as I was doing more, more carnivore keto, like I got into ketosis faster, but as I was kind of cycling out of eating more carbs to less carbs, it just, it really struck me as like, it's crazy how the day before 18, even 20 hours, even after a fast, I'm still barely in ketosis because of the half-life of those carbs. So are you doing like any carbs really now? Or are you pretty much strict keto all the way? Uh, I do a little, I do some carbs here and there. Like if there's some berries and we have them, I might grab one. Um, if they, you know, family here, if they, if they have some sweet potatoes, even now it's funny because as I'm more keto, I'm more carnivore, my sweet tooth is gone, but foods that weren't sweet to me before are very sweet to me now. So mm-hmm. like eating a sweet potato is like eating dessert to me right now. And I think that's probably a good thing. It's like good that I adjusted my, you know, my, my flavor sense that way. Yeah. I was recording a podcast the other day and we were talking but about how... five to 10 grams of carbs a day. Oh, you cut out there for a second. What was that last thing you said? I said, I'm probably eating about if, if I had to guess me five to 10 grams of carbs a day. Oh, yes, and that's nothing, man. Have you yep. noticed, like, I'm sure you probably experienced a little dip in performance when you initially switched over and were removing, you know, the excess carbohydrates, but now you're probably running better than you ever were before? Better than I ever was, and it wasn't that much of a dip. Like, there were some issues with, like, gut adjustment and things like that that I think are definitely something that you have to get through. I mean, but I've been eating, you know, clean, somewhat clean my whole life, and I've been eating animals my whole life. So it's not like I was going from like a vegan to a to a carnivore, for example, where that would be a major adaptation. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of adaptation period, but you know, like if you're eating clean food, the body's just highly adaptable. And if you're not throwing too many carbs in the mix, and especially if it's the sugar, it's the sugar that's the thing that that just screws everything up. And if you're not doing that, you know, yeah, you might not feel great here and there, but it's very easy to bounce back from that. Totally agree. What's, what's your take on protein, man? I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, I've been in the keto space for long enough that, you know, it's it's funny to kind of see how the different trends and interest mm-hmm. shift. Uh, but right now, like the hot topic is, you know, how much protein is adequate, is optimal, is overdoing it, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I actually recently watched a podcast that everyone should probably watch. It was uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. It was Dr. Saladino and Dr. Ned, uh, Ted Nyman or Neiman. Nyman, and yeah. they were basic. Yeah, they were basically going back and forth because Ted's more pro-protein and Paul's more pro-fat. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of variables here. Like obviously context matters. What you're trying to accomplish matters. For me, even at 155, trying to get to that last bit of like fat loss so I can get really lean and then kind of form a baseline, I'm, I'm trying to prioritize protein. That being said, I don't, it's really hard to eat that much protein. Like I probably fall in the 30% range. I thought I was eating a lot more than that. 
uh, but it's really hard to eat more than that. And, and so what happens is if I'm can only really eat 30 to 40 grams of, of or not grams, uh, percent of protein a day in calories, just cause like I can't from a satiety level, well, the rest is going to probably come from fat. So I, I, you know, I think if somebody's doing very little carbs, no carbs, 30 to 50 grams would be like the super high end of the spectrum, right? Depending on goals and what you're trying to accomplish. That being said, if you're trying to lose body fat, I would recommend everybody prioritize protein and not kill the fat intake, but just watch their fat intake. Like maybe just trim a little bit here and there. Don't eat as much fat. And I don't think you should be prioritizing fat intake the way some people try to do in the keto where they try to like hit their fat macros. I think that's not really the good way to think about it. I think you should prioritize protein, let satiety happen, and then see if you fill in the gaps with clean pro- uh, fat sources. See, it's funny because I'm the exact opposite. I I would, I would, <laughs> I do and I would recommend prioritizing fat i'm actually getting ted name mm. on the podcast uh next week i believe that podcast oh, with him good, and Saladino was great yeah. uh yep. but there's definitely some it, it's it's so context dependent though. i mean it kind of depends on where you're at metabolically where your goals are uh you know and kind of what your history is like a lot of people don't mm-hmm. think into you know where you've been in the past five ten years of your nutritional journey but all that has a pretty big impact on what you should be doing now um but i'm definitely pro fat for like a performance base well, are you trying to lean or are you like at a comfortable set point, you know, with body fat so that you're more like maintenance performance? No, I'm definitely leaning out. Like I'm, I'm preparing for a competition now. Oh, so you're I'll, still preparing? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'll get See, down to 3% body fat and I'll have probably 78 or 80% of my calories will be coming from fat. Well, how many grams of protein does that end up a day for you? Uh, at the end of it, I'll probably be down to 75 grams of protein a day. Wow. And you still can, and you're, so you're training for like a bodybuilding competition. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Yeah. Wow. I've that's crazy. Several bodybuilding competitions coming up. And I mean, I'm not against protein. Like I don't want anybody here right. to think that I'm against protein, but see, the thing is we all have like different goals. And if you're trying to lose body fat, then your primary goal shouldn't be to build muscle. So what you're, what you need is adequate protein. It's going to be different when you're trying to build muscle mm-hmm. versus lose body right. fat. Um, so like when I'm in a cut, I'm trying to maintain as much muscle as I can and I can maintain more muscle. I'm more anti-catabolic if I've got, you know, more production of ketones, my fat ratio is higher, all mm-hmm. that's going to be more, uh, symbiotic to, to maintaining the muscle that I've built over the past, you know, three years of off season. So mm-hmm. diff- different yeah, approach than, than Ted Naaman's for sure. But, but right. his, most of his clients, um, I don't want to speak overweight. for, yeah, yeah they're super they're overweight. Super overweight. Yeah. Um, so I can definitely see how that genre would benefit more from prioritizing protein, but that's right. not my genre. No, I totally agree with that. Right. And I think these things should be throttled. I think there's individual genetics that play a role. I think some people just might prefer more protein or less protein. Like, like I said, I, It's hard for me to eat even if I have calories from and like, I have been some hunter gatherers that have been observed eating as many as 50% of calories from protein. But I think that is like the, the, the utmost end of the spectrum. Like I think for most people, what I've found from the numbers and asking people a lot, 20 to 30% protein is like the high end. Uh, and, but I do think like 10% or low or less is too little protein. So I think most people, if we looked at it from an ancestral context, they're probably going to be somewhere between like 15 to 25% protein. And then, of course, the rest fat and you know, whatever carbs they happen to be. But I think that's probably the optimal range for most people. Yeah, yeah, Somewhere in there. totally, totally agree. I feel like when you start really going heavy on the protein, like your body can only assimilate so much of it at a time anyways. Right. And it honestly just, I don't feel optimal when like half of my calories are coming from protein. Like I noticed. Yeah, it's not a good energy source. Yeah. You know? Like mean, your body wants fat. Like, and so I totally agree with that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's interesting because I'll feel 
more bloated, more lethargic, and just I'll feel hungrier. Like it's a real, it's a satiating. It's it's funny because like a lot of protein is a lot of volume. It's a lot more you know volume than you're getting with fat, calorie for calorie. But you're getting that that's almost a bloat satiety instead of like a true satiety. And then you crave more fat. I I have noticed that. It's like some days I eat a lot of protein. I'm like still hungry even mm-hmm. though I've literally filled up my stomach. So yeah, I, I t- and again, lean protein versus like semi-lean, ver- white protein versus red meat protein. Like there's, all, there's other variables there too. Like I think the protein source matters. Like a red meat-based protein is gonna just have more minerals and nutrients and satiety than like lean chicken breast, for example. Yeah, 100%. I feel like even if the macros are equated for, like say you have a lean chicken breast and you add a bunch of olive oil to it and you are able to get the macros the same as like a fatty cut of beef, you're going to get a lot more energy and satiety from the fatty cut of beef. Always. Yep. hundred percent. So what does like a typical day of eating look like for you now? So I will eat my first meal probably after this. I've been awake since like 10 a.m. So I'll break my fast. I will have uh, whatever steak I have available. Usually I've been actually experimenting with some other cuts. Like uh, I got some wild elk in, which is really cool. It's very similar to steak. You know, Joe Rogan kind of talked about how elk's so awesome, so I had to try it for myself. Uh, I'll just break my fast with that. It'll be like it'll be like some butter. It'll be a piece of meat, maybe ribeye, maybe strip, maybe elk, whatever. If I have sirloin, I'll do that. I, I'm not really trying to optimize that closely for like super lean cuts, and but it is always some form of red meat, ruminant animal. And if I'm still hungry, I'll have like some egg yolks or I'll have some sardines or a seafood pate. I try to get in some good omega-3s in, uh, get some smaller fatty fish into my diet. And then that's meal one. And I don't really eat until meal two, which is a bit smaller. And meal two is just whatever's available. Usually it's some form of ground, ground beef. Maybe I'll have some raw cheese here and there. I do do a little bit of dairy and I'm experimenting with some raw dairy and different things like that. But I find it's not very necessary. I do like raw cheese though. That's like probably my current like go-to for like a, a treat. Um, and that's it. It's two meals and mostly, mostly animal-based nutrition and very low carb. Where are you getting the uh, the seafood pate and the raw raw cheese? You piqued my interest there. So the raw the raw cheese you can actually get at most grocery stores. Most people don't realize this. There are certain cheeses that are protect that are protected. They have it's like a DOP stamp. I think it's like a destination of protection or something. Like Parmigiano Reggiano is one where they you have those big wheels and they cut them off. That mm. is almost always from grass fed grass finished cows because they only use certain cows. The cows there's no antibiotics. Like in Europe, there's almost no industrialized feedlot system the way there is in the U.S. So you're getting really clean milk, raw dairy, and if you read the label and it says unpasteurized or raw as a first ingredient milk that's that those are the types of cheese i eat i don't recommend anyone actually eat any pasteurized milk or drink it for the most part or any or any pasteurized dairy so i'm always going for raw there are sources online where you can also find small batch raw cheese i even had raw milk delivered recently uh from a farm in pennsylvania like i would you just literally search like raw milk and they can actually ship it to your door it's, it's pretty crazy uh, so, but most grocery stores, Whole Foods, even like, like a Publix or Kroger, if you go to the cheese section and find the really good stuff that looks like it's imported, a lot of times you can find the raw options. And, and most of the time, those are going to be really quality grass-fed sources of milk. Nice. And do you notice a difference in how your body responds to that versus like a, like a pasteurized, heavily processed dairy? I think satiety isn't there. Like, and it just, I can't, I don't know how to answer that actually. I, I don't know if there's a difference, but I know mentally there is like, I don't feel like I'm doing my body good when I'm mm-hmm. eating that kind of stuff. It feels like something I shouldn't be doing, but when I'm having raw cheese, 
I actually, and this is kind of a recent thing, I've really dived into dairy and some of the A2 versus A1 inflammation markers and all the different variables around it. I've, I've come to the place where I actually believe that raw cheese could actually be a superfood. And some I'm experimenting with that. And I've been adding to my diet and I don't have any issues with it. Um, and I guess the next 60 to 90 days, I'll, I'll be able to answer that more intelligently. Yeah, it's interesting, man, because a lot of people totally demonize, you know, dairy. And I feel yep. like a lot of people do have an intolerance to it. But if you get like a high quality dairy, I mean, there's so much good that can come from it. Um, and it's weird because like, I mean, we're like the only mammals that eat dairy after we've been weaned from our mothers. But at the right. same time, like, I feel like there's technology there that illustrates how beneficial it can be if, if processed properly. Yes. And dairy is actually a complete whole food. Like yeah. you could survive off dairy with all the essential amino acids and fatty acids. Everything is there that, that you need. I, I think you can overdo it. I think it's something that should be, a, you know, an, an, an addition to the diet, like, you know, a supplement, if you will. But I don't think a raw cheese is as bad as I basically grew up thinking. Like, you know, they always talk about like it's inflammation, it's bad for you, whatever. And I just, you know, doing a little bit more of a carnivore style diet right now. I've been opening my eyes to a lot of the different variables. And I think raw dairy that's really high quality is a food that would be on the positive end of the food spectrum for me. Yeah, totally agree. What about the the seafood pate? Where are you finding that at? So that's actually something I make. And it's a, it's a recipe that I just did a video on YouTube. It's really easy though. Like for most time, for, for most of these type of pates is you're going to take a few canned fish or fresh or whatever you can find. Like I use sardines. Sometimes I'll use mackerel. And I've been actually experimenting with like baby clams and, and these other foods that you can find even at like Whole Foods or Publix. There's usually pretty good canned uh, seafood you can find. And I put that into a food processor. I add maybe some butter, maybe some MCT oil, maybe some, just anything, maybe a little bit of mustard, like whatever, depending on your diet you want, throw in some garlic, throw in some salt, throw in some lemon, blend it up, taste to adjust. And like, that's how I get my omega-3 in is I just take a scoop full of that every meal usually. And it's super easy. It's super approachable for people that don't like seafood. And the most recent one I made was actually with cod liver where you actually get canned cod liver which I think is one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And I blended that whole cod liver with sardines, wild caught sardines, and then just some lemon. And you blend that up and it's like, I actually enjoy it. I used to just eat those foods out of like necessity because I thought it was good for me. Now I literally look forward to them. So, you know, you just got to find a recipe that works for you. And it keeps pretty good too, right? Even after it's very good. Canned. Yep. Very good. I put it in little small glass jars and I partition them out and I'll eat like, I'll, I'll just eat them over the course of a week or, or longer. I mean, it keeps very easy. Like a pate is, you know, it's got salt and it's got lemon and, and whatever. Like, yeah, you can, and you can make pates with meat and other things. It's definitely kind of a lost art actually is pates are a really interesting food and very nutrient dense. And I think people should probably look into those a little bit more. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of pate. It's like an acquired taste, but when yep. you get off the carbs and sugar and you're like, you know, sense of taste is so much more, attenuated like you you yep. can you look forward to that stuff like you're saying 100 percent. so t talk to me about the business man like wild food like talk to me about that what was the the motivation behind, behind starting that what are some things you've learned in doing that and just kind of talk to me about what the ethos of the business stands for yeah it all goes back to finding paleo and then getting those results and then i got really really heavily into cooking and food and then sourcing and when i like that first principle that i discovered through all this was if I can buy ingredients that are as clean, pure, real, as close to nature as possible, I always do better, feel better, look better, right? 
So that that to me is like a, a simple first principle. It's, it's a one plus one equals two that we, until science figures out how to put proper nutrition in a pill, we're, that's that's for me, that's the first principle of human biology, right? Human nutrition. So I took that and I said, okay, I'm obsessed with my performance. I was heavily into CrossFit and fitness and all these things at the time. I wanted to perform well. Uh, so I was looking for a really high quality whey protein and everywhere I'd go, like, I was just like, I didn't know if I could trust it. Like there were some grass fed brands, but I was like, I don't know what happens to the farm level. What do they do with the cows? Like, where does it come from? All these different things. And I really got heavily into all that and went down the deep rabbit hole to the point where I said, I want to source for myself big bags of the best whey protein on the planet. I want to find it. And, and I, and I think I actually did. I found some of the literally the best protein on the planet from these cows in Australia. They, they chew, they feed on grass year round. They're outside. They're happy, healthy animals. Etc. It's non-denatured, cold processed. There's a bunch to it. So I started buying that for myself. And I was like, well, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of expensive, like especially compared to the other protein brands. But maybe some people, if I positioned it based on quality, like rather than like cost or flavor, right? Because it was just unnatural. It wasn't like cookie batter protein. It's all crap you see today, which I think is nonsense. What if other people be interested in this? And so I started, I listed my first listing on Amazon of like, Twenty, like five hundred dollars of it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what the hell? This is crazy!" Like, no idea, no marketing, no no promotion, just like listing, buy now button. People bought it. Then that opened my mind, you know, being the entrepreneur that I've always been, and just like it opened my mind to the 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 opportunity, the possibility. And I started sourcing other products. I got we got a really high quality MCT oil that was product number two, and then I found a local coffee roaster in Austin, and I worked with them to get a really high end. four to five coffee line. And then we started offering that and then we got some tea and then we just like, you know, eventually had like 60 to 70 products. Since then we've kind of honed in and reduced some of those onto some of the best sellers. But for me, it's, you know, we've, we've grown and we've, we've served over a million customers as of like last year. Uh, but we're still maybe not growing as fast as some of these other companies you might see, but I'm okay with that because I feel like what you get when you grow too fast, especially in this type of business, like food supplements is you have to cut corners, you have to cut costs. They want scale, they want profitability, they want to eke out margin. And I just would much rather make quality the focus and then let all those other things happen on the back end through customer loyalty and through having people that come back to us time and time again. And, you know, then being an entrepreneur, there's a million things I've learned, which, you know, we could go into or not, but from, it's still the same core ethos, like quality sourcing close to nature, and then get those products to people, and then they use them to support their lifestyle. They feel good, and they come back for more. That's the our entire business philosophy. I love it, man. There's. I was thinking today, you know, because like the the keto bricks that we make, I mean, they're expensive. Oh like yeah, I've had the, them. Yep, yep. The ingredients are not cheap. Like I'm not marking those things right. up much. Like it's expensive to make those <laughs> right. things. And it's yep. funny because I I look at our our brick compared to other you know competitive bars on the market, and it's like. It's not even in the same industry. Like, I'm not making a snack bar. I'm making a performance product, and I'm putting 100% yep, focus products. on quality. Right. So, like, to hear you say the same thing, it's like it, it's like we, we, we can look at these other companies that are seeming seemingly scaling faster, and at, at like, a moment's notice, it's like, oh, man, what, what am I doing wrong? But then you, like, stop and think about the big picture, and you're like, I'm doing nothing wrong. Like, let them scale. Let them get all that get all that attention at the end of the day that I, I know that I don't have to hold my head down or you know look behind my shoulder because I'm not sacrificing my integrity or my quality or any of that stuff. And I feel like people will always be there to support and appreciate that. Yeah. Well, if you look at all the trends, whether it's venture capital, raising funds, doing all these things, like 
things like we work that should have never happened. Like there's a lot of nonsense that goes on in business and in and, and, and funding and startups now today. But the thing is, is people will always go to those products that they truly trust in the companies and the products, the, cre- the cream will rise to the top. Like, so in a, in a sea of choice, we have millions and millions of products and new ones launch every single day. Well, you got to just find one or two things that you're really, really good at. And then you stick to that. And yeah, some people might pass you by here and there and then they'll burn out or flame out, but you'll still be going. It's kind of the tortoise and the hare thing. Like it's like long and slow and consistent or sprinting and then killing over and then not even finishing. Right. Like that's, that's again, that's another business philosophy. And I think, I think people will always come back to the products that are quality. And if you can always invest in product quality and, and stay true to that, and that's what basically what branding is. Branding is just staying true to what you tell people you're going to do. You'll win in the long run. Totally agree, man. I'm, I'm all about playing the long game. Like, I don't give two shits about who's winning minute by minute. You know, I'm not in it for a mm-hmm. fast buck, and I just I don't care to be. Um, what, what are some of the, the big obstacles you faced in, in having your own business, man? Like, we can, we can talk, talk about little entrepreneurial hurdles here. Well, there's so many. What I tell people when it comes to business, the hardest part is always people, right? Keeping people motivated, keeping them excited. You know, they'll, they'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll do all these things. They'll, they'll have good intentions and they'll still do these things. And you, you, you have to be, you have to be a stoic to, in a lot of these instances. And actually stoicism is a philosophy that I've got into through like losing my father and other things in life that has served me very well in business. And just understanding that most of the time when people do things that don't align with what you want, a lot of times they're not really doing it on purpose or, or they're not doing it maliciously. They're just being people. They're just in, being an imperfect creature. They have different priorita- priorities. They have different you know, things they want to do and they maybe don't see the world the way you do. And sometimes people's incentives and motivations don't line up with yours and that's fine. That's life. So you have to have a little bit of a like a like a stoic not responding to everything, like let things happen as they will, adapt to them, you know, like learn new things and change. Like there's so many lessons here, but it's like, I would, I would recommend anybody is just focused on the first principles of what's not going to change. So like if you have a product, like we talked about quality, right? What, what's that one thing that's going to make your product stand the test of time and just at your daily religion and then the rest of the stuff you can just figure out, you know, and you, you play the long game, be patient, service customers and give them a, a world-class experience. And that's, that's what business is. That's all it is, right? And no matter what you see on the news and, and all these things, that's all business is at its core. And people get too sucked up into the flashy grass is greener and all the things that move fast and they get excited and whatever. And it's understandable. It appeals to certain, you know, instincts uh, and, and different biases of the human mind. But the guys that win are, you know, the people that stick to the basics and keep going. Like even like Musk, people have told, said that Elon Musk is going to fail over and over and over again. And like, look what he's still doing. He's still there. He's still playing, you know. So I think people just need a first principles approach to everything in life, not just business and focus on the basics. The basics they are not going to change. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. It's it's funny because business, like, if you, if you're not in business, you're not working for yourself, and you look at starting a business, it seems so <laughs> daunting, so overwhelming. Like, if there's like there are a lot of like nuanced like hoops you have to jump through, and if you knew yep. all those little bitty details, you probably never would start. But at the end of the day, like the core persona of owning a business to be an entrepreneur is is pretty simple. Like, it's not easy, but it's pretty simple if that makes sense. Well, we complicate it. Like humans, we love complicating everything. Everyone's like, oh, what's this new diet going to be? I'm going to make it. It's going to have all these things. It's going to be all these things, all these variables. And then they just fail. Like we make these big lists, these big plans, these big, these huge business plans. Like 
what about just focusing on like the one thing or the two things? You know, there's an entire, there's a book written about this by Gary Keller called the one thing It's something mm-hmm. that everybody should read, not just entrepreneurs, right? Like the one thing, if we just focus on the one thing for our business and then for our health and then for whatever, like, for example, for me, the one thing for nutrition is real food. It's based on like what we talked about. The number one thing for business is to make sure I stay true to the quality standards, right? Number one thing like for my family is to make sure I spend time. Like, you know, you can have a one thing for everything in life and focus on that with your most of your energy. That's where you get your 80-20. And then all the other things that come at you, like, you know, you say yes, say no, do whatever, try something, experiment, but then constantly make sure that you're focused on the one thing in your 80-20. And that's how you get things done in life and actually live a balanced and healthy life regardless of what you're doing in life. 100% agree, man. Have you read The Obstacles of the Way? Oh, of course. I've read all Holiday's books. Yep. Yeah, Holiday, man. Like, I, I literally listened to his book on repeat in my, in my contest prep. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's good. It, it totally changed the way I think about any type of hardship, man. Like, I just embrace life now. Yep. You mentioned that you had lost your, your father? Yes, when I was uh, 18. Do you want to dive into that at all? Or is that something you don't want to talk about? No, no, totally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been a long time now. I'm about to be 35. But... It and it definitely coincides with stoicism. The Stoics had something called negative visualization, which is something I try to actually use often in my life. It's basically thinking about the worst that can happen. And for me, it usually comes down to the things that I value the most, which are family and life. Like I value family and life the most, more than money, more than whether my business implodes or whatever. So I'm thinking to myself, well, what would happen if I lost my son? What would happen if I lost my partner? What would happen if I lost my mom, my sister, et cetera? And I do it as a means to try to ground myself into back to the things that matter because we get so sucked up into all the things most of the time that are ephemeral that don't matter. And we need those reminders. Humans need reminders to get back to the basics because the world we live in today, this crazy information coming at us at every second distraction based world we live in today is not what we are designed for. We are designed for the wild to live in small groups as community, to have simple lives, to focus on simple things, but to be together, to have relationships, to do all these things. And so I try to make sure that I'm constantly thinking about death. And so how that applies to my dad is I saw firsthand that life is short. Life, life is fickle. And, you know, it motivates me to take advantage of time. That's probably why I've been able to do what I've done in life is I'm always kind of like in my mind fighting the clock and that's a double-edged sword because sometimes I feel like I need to take a a minute to enjoy life right I can't just work all the time I gotta enjoy life like uh, what's the point of having money if I'm dead etc so all these things you know there's there's as Aristotle said there's a golden mean in, in nature in life like you have the extreme like too much sunlight you can get skin cancer or whatever too little you can get rickets right you can drink too much water and basically kill yourself if you don't drink enough water or no water at all, you can die. So there's always this goal to meet in nature. And I think death is one of the great ways for our species to try to constantly get to that golden mean. We always want to try to get back to that middle of what's what's perfect and optimal for all these different variables of our life. And as species that have certain primal tendencies, it's very easy to get sucked into things that basically profit off of us being distracted or profit off of us buying things we don't need to impress people we don't know or like. Like, we need to just constantly be reminded of, of the basics of what matters to us and be self-aware to, to, to do that. That's, it's, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think you put that very eloquently. It's, it's hard for a lot of people to, you know, that we all hear these things, that we all read about these things. We know it to be true, but to actually practice it and live it is, is the challenge. So, like, mm-hmm. what are what are some tangible things that you do to, like, bring this to the forefront of your mind on a day-to-day basis? 
Yeah, well, you know, everyone talks about meditation. I, I think that is important, but I'm going to put a different spin on it. Uh, like if I'm sitting at a cafe, I work from home and or cafes, and I take a moment to just look up from my computer. I got a bunch of tabs open. I got Slack. I got all these things, right? And I just literally think about nothing for 60 seconds. Maybe I, maybe I, I count my breath. Maybe I just listen to my breath, or maybe I just let my mind wander. Doing things like that, or even like deep breaths, that's another one, like just take some deep breaths. Doing simple things like that can have such a profound effect for multiple reasons. It, it can have a profound effect on your biology, your physiology. It can also have a profound effect because instead of being like connected to things because they're controlling you, you have basically the, the habit, the power, the skill to, de to disconnect, to decouple, and then take a moment and just let it all melt away. And a lot of people can't even do that. I mean, like they talk about meditation, sitting in a chair for 30 minutes, doing an hour. Like I think for most people, that's not viable. Most people aren't going to do it. But if you can literally look up for 60 seconds and just think about your breath, just stare off into the distance. You know, that look where you're like looking at something, but you're not really looking at something. Do that for 60 seconds and just let things, they say your thoughts, just let them be clouds that pass you by. It's like that kind of stuff. That's, that's one of my favorite practices. And there's a lot of other things like, you know, obviously fitness and, and, and paying attention to things and having a schedule and routine. There's a bunch of other things, but just really being self-aware of these things and trying to mitigate some of the negative effects of our environment. That to me is the big step that most people need is they need to just not be like plugged into the matrix as much like, and, or be aware they are plugged into the matrix so they can do something about it. Yeah, totally agree, man. How old's your son? He's uh, 18 months now. 18 months now. What was that like being an entrepreneur and having as much going on as you do? Like, was you that have scary? To, yeah, yeah, you have to find the right partner. Uh, you have to find the partner that understands if at times you're not available. You, that, that, I mean, you know, the, the women, they do everything. Like when it comes to pregnancy, guys have it so easy. I, it's just the reality of it. Uh, there are, there can be sleepless nights. There can be things like that. But he's breastfed. So she takes on so much of the responsibility because like she's his food source, right? And she's who puts him to bed. And so we're trying to wean him off that so I can put him to bed. And, you know, you have to find the right partner. That's the tip I would, I would give. But when you are truly in control of your time and I've built my life, you know, I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And so that very much was always in my head. Like I want to control my time. I want to control my schedule. I don't want to work in an office. And so being an entrepreneur was always a natural thing for me. But when you truly control your time and you have employees and you have systems and you have operations, I could be gone for a week if I need to, or if he's sick or if I'm sick or whatever, I'll just leave. And the, and the business doesn't just fall apart. And so setting your life up and having the supports you need and thinking about things like an engineer, that's a really good way to put it. It's like, think about your life and your systems and your habits and your routines as an engineer. And when one thing's not working and you can't get your work done or you're distracted, figure out what you need to change in your environment or what part of that system do you need to tweak and find a solution. Like we just moved out here and I had to figure out what my new work routine is because we live in a new house and we're out in the country. And so like, I got to now figure that out. And that, that took me like 30 to 40 days till I had like a solid routine where I felt like I was being productive and I was back on my game. Right. So it definitely takes being aware of all these things. That's the thing. Like people just don't spend enough time. I think they don't spend enough time thinking about all these variables and, and, and their life and what they're trying to achieve and how everything they do on a daily basis affects all of it because it's all connected totally agree man what what is a routine like what's your routine look like now this is like a typical tim ferris podcast question but like what's your, <laughs> yeah i know right what's your morning routine night routine like how do you kind of structure your day 
my morning routine when it was hot because it's been cold lately and i've been struggling i struggle with cedar fever which is a thing in texas and like it knocks me out like every year this time of the year uh but i like to get outside i go outside when it's sunny and i just sit out until i'm sweating i'll usually walk around maybe do a little bit of exercise listen to an audiobook or just nothing listen to nature that is my preferred way to wake up i think everybody should do it. getting that vitamin d getting outside walking barefoot grounding earthing doing all these things it's great. It's just insane how much of an effect it has. Now, since it's been cold and I haven't been doing that as much, I'm definitely more groggy in the morning. It takes me longer to wake up, but I wake up and I'm not doing any coffee or fasting until I get to the coffee shop. Uh, I have my work, my first work session where I'm, you know, laptop set up three to four hours. I get some thinking time, some writing. I work and then spend some time with family. And then usually at some point, I'm going to have a second work session later in the day. So maybe it's like 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or even maybe it's 10 or 11 after he goes to sleep. And then I'll get another two to three hours in. And that's it. That's, and that's my day. And you're getting pretty much like you, you can do it all from the computer and then be with like be present with your family when you're there. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not one to be on my phone or or like be working when I'm at home. Like I my my work is very within windows. So like basically 12 to five, I kind of stay available. So if I need to do phone calls or, or even like podcasts with this or deal with my employees, that's my time for that. And then I basically turn my phone off and I'm unavailable the rest of the time. And like, that's just my sacred time, whether it's sleep, whether it's, whether it's think t- thinking time in the morning, my morning routine or at night, I don't, I'm like, we've, we built it up so that my employees understand that. And I think most organizations, if they train their employees to know that they actually figure things out for themselves. Whereas if I was available 24 seven, they would just bother me 24 seven. Like it's, it's amazing how people will adapt to your schedule when you actually set one. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Like I literally, my phone is on silent all day, every day. Like I, if, if it's people so need me, I they can it. email me and I block schedule. I batch respond to all my emails. I batch respond to yep. all my clients and all my employees. And my phone is on silent every day. <laughs> like there's just yep. no, there's no breaking through that because it's crazy how, how you get distracted and it takes you, I forget what the statistics are, but like if you get distracted from something, it can take you as long as like 45 minutes to get back into that deep flow state where you were. And it's like, that's just, you can't. I think it's 25. The research you're referring to was 20. It was somebody between 25 and 35. But but think about that. That's insane. Yeah. 25 minutes and a half an hour just to like get back in the same flow state. That's. Yeah, that's that's precious time. That's sacred time. I'm not, I'm not sacrificing yep. that. Not worth it. So you said you moved out in the country? Yeah, we actually moved an hour outside of Austin. We got 10 acres. Uh, we're going to probably get some goats and chickens. I've been so busy, so I haven't even got around to it. But uh, I just wanted to get a little bit outside of the rigmarole of city life, you know, get raise my son so he can be outside and we can enjoy nature more and just be in nature more. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of variables. But it also, for me, from a work perspective, it, it has helped me simplify life. Like, there's just less options. If I'm living in Austin, it's a busy, fast-growing city. There's always something to do. There's always some excuse you, ha- you can have in your mind of like, I got to go do this. Or, I got to run this errand. Or, I'm going to meet this person. When I'm out here, I'm an hour away. It really simplifies the options, which w- what I have found, it removes that nagging like opportunity like voice in my head so that I can actually focus on work better and focus on my routine better when I have less options. So for me, it's been, it's been awesome for work and productivity. I like that, man. I feel like, you know, going back to your son, raising – children on land is probably the single what well, not may say the but definitely one of the single best things you can do for their like development like i i grew up on land and like just the skills that you learn living on property yeah. i mean you cannot get i mean common sense like you you learn so much more common sense just by living on land than you ever could if you were living in a city 
I totally agree. Yep, that's our plan. So you plan on getting like you said goats and and whatnot. When when is that going to roll out? Uh, that's a good question. I got to actually ask, talk to my partner about that. We, we've been here about se- uh, 70 days and I got my studio set up and we have a lot of things. We've been making some improvements. I think we're going to probably get a few chickens for the eggs first mm-hmm. and maybe get some sheep or goats, maybe for the milk and then for meat or whatever. I, I'd like to get a cow just for, for the raw dairy. Uh, I, I got to do a lot of research, you know, because with me, I don't just like I'm not just going to like buy some goats, right? I'm going to do it the right way, figure out how much labor it's going to take and do all these things. And we're actually expecting. So we have number two on the way. So Allison is a little, you know, from an energy perspective, she doesn't have as much energy and my mom does live with us, but like we are very limited in, in the physical aspect of help. So we'll see. (laughs) I'll definitely document it, whatever I do and whatever I get, I'll probably be documenting on the podcast and on YouTube. It should be fun. Yeah, get get you some lambs. We have lambs, and they're like super easy keepers and a great source of meat when they're ready to slaughter. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Oh, okay, yeah, definitely. So what's 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 in the future for for wild foods, man? Like, where do you think where do you think things are gonna go? You think having having this land is gonna impact how you're gonna run the company, like self providing for yourself and all that? Uh, well, as far as the company goes, I mean, we're our plan is to keep growing. We, I want to reach people with the real food message. So like we sell products, we sell supplements and whatever, but for me, I really want to educate people. And so I'm using products, if you will, to kind of reach people and then educate them. That's what I want out of life. Like that's what I want the next 40, 50, 60 years, however long I'm going to be here. I want people to wake up to the very dangerous ideas. Like there's, it is bad or she and all these things or, or, or how it's normalized to feed sugar to children all the time. Like there's so many of these things that are really bad trends for our species and for what's going to happen in the next, I mean, basically my son's lifetime and then, and then my grandchildren's lifetime and then on and on and on. If we don't make some major changes from a, just a health perspective and, and an information sharing to get this, these ideas out to the masses. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty scary actually. So that's what I'm trying to do. That's the like the fundamental goal of the company is to spread these ideas. Yeah, that that's definitely a, a, a worthwhile obstacle and a goal to, to tackle, man. Like I think about I don't have any kids yet, but I look at, you know, where things are heading and it's like I'm glad that, you know, movements like keto and paleo and everything is, is getting more education out there. Yeah. But like I fear for, you know, my kids' sake when it comes to what their options are gonna be like for, for nutritional dense food. I mean, what do you think you're gonna do? Like with, with your kids, like, are you going to try and push, you know, keto, low carb? Like, how, how are you going to go about that? Cause that's kind of difficult waters to navigate. Like you push too hard and they're going to like revolt and, and just eat all the sugar they can. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, so right now this is what we're doing with him. So we give him options on his plate. He's never had a refined grain. He's never had cane sugar. He's never had a sweet a candy ice cream. He's never had any of that. I mean, he's 16 months. He's still basically a baby, but we've never given it to him. Mom won't give it to him. I won't give it to him. And we have no plans to give it to him. He will probably eat it at some point, but because he's growing up on whole real foods where we, you know, we're giving some eggs, maybe we'll put a few berries there. If we have some veggies, we'll put them there. We don't really make a big deal about it. And we just let him decide. He actually opts for mostly the low carb, high fat, high protein foods, whether that is steak, whether that is the eggs, whether that's some chicken, he opts for those generally. And sometimes he leaves the fruit or he doesn't even touch it. Right. So we're kind of giving him the ability for his biology to decide what foods he should be eating. And my theory on this, talking to some other parents have been doing this and kind of observing like what Rob Wolf does with his, like the kids are going to go out as they grow up. They're going to have friends. They're going to be 
introduced to birthday parties and cakes and all these other things, right? That's going to happen. But because they grew up with a certain palate and they grow up eating certain foods, like for example, Rob said his kids went to a birthday party one time and they had a bite of cake, but it tasted so cloyingly sweet to them that they almost didn't recognize it as food. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I feel like human biology is very intuitive if, if you're at least serving it like the baseline nutrition. So I'm just confident he's going to be able to grow up making decisions for himself. And if he has things here and there, he'll get sick and feel like crap and he'll probably not want to do it again. Like I think there's going to be a, a natural checks and balance there. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I feel like, you know, like kids, they, they want to emulate their folks in the beginning for sure. So leading by That's example true, yep. is key. And then, you know, if you like with all the keto movement and everything now, like it's, it's becoming cool again to like Mm -hmm. provide your own food eat quality food like know how to cook like all this stuff is getting documented it's cool so i feel like if you can kind of lay the foundation that look this is the right way to go about it and it doesn't make you look weird it's like actually a a good thing it's like i feel like that's going to be a good way to kind of hedge your bets and get them on the right track yeah i totally agree 100 percent. love it man and plus that that uh seafood pate that's pretty good baby food i would imagine Oh, he loves it. <laughs> he literally does, yeah. I love it, man. Well, where, where can people go to find out more about you, the website and the, the business? Yeah, so you can find us at uh, wildfoods.co. Uh, you can obviously Google that or Google me. Uh, I'm on YouTube, pretty active, and our podcast, The Ancestral Mind. You can find, you know, if you search that anywhere, you'll find it. And I'm doing a lot more on YouTube, and I'm doing a lot more on the podcast. Those are my goals this, this year to kind of help grow and spread these messages like we talked about and just really help people get in touch with their biology. You know, if they want to do keto, if they want to do a little bit more higher carb, lower carb, whatever. I mean, if you have some of these basic first principles down, you can throttle those things. You can test those things. You can be your own scientist. And fundamentally, you're going to take control of your health. And instead of letting these interests, these big interests that don't have your interests at heart, instead of letting them decide for you. So I want to arm people with that information and they can find me on, on, on online. And, you know, that's what I'm here to do. I love it, man. I feel like, I don't know, just listening to you talk, I feel like we got a lot of the same same passions and whatnot for life. And I feel like it's it's cool because it's such a symbiotic relationship, like all these things that we enjoy doing, these things that we like to learn about and dive deeper into, like it all just yep. works together. So yep. it's it's always cool for me to like meet somebody that's got a similar similar interest in that regard. So I'm, I'm excited to, to watch you keep killing it, man. Yeah, you too. And uh, if you're, are you going to be at Paleo FX or KetoCon? Yeah, I'll be speaking at KetoCon for sure. And then I may or may not be at Paleo FX. I don't know yet. Well, I'll see you there. We'll we'll connect that. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it, brother. Until then, have a good one. Thanks, man. You too.